0: Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you as a parent gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregson sits down for a conversation with a couple of teens from Heartlight. Heartlight is a residential counseling center started by Mark and his wife, Jan, that creates an arena of change for both teens and parents. Let's hear from a couple of Heartlight's teens today.
1: Aiden, thanks for being a part of the program today. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you end up at Heartlight? Um, Well, originally I had some some trouble with some drug addiction problems uh, going into high school. You think everybody does? You th- I mean, if you had to look at the percentage of school people that are doing drugs or something, where would you put that percentage? Honestly, I think a huge portion of kids these days
2: use marijuana. Yeah. Just as, like, recreational, yeah. you know? But, I mean, I guess pills are getting more popular, like prescription pills and everything. Okay, what about where you live? I'm from a small town where there's not much to do, yeah. and one of the bordering cities is heavy like drugs and everything where you'd basically drive down the street and buy you know cocaine whatever you want okay so when did things start to spin out for you originally i spent most of my school years in like band like marching band i played brass instruments and the kids who i looked up to were my brother's friends yeah and so these kids i looked up to were like the best band members also they're great musicians i looked up to these guys they went on to high school, and then I was like the top dog in middle school, but then whenever I went up to high school, I was like the freshman, and those other kids who I looked up to before were already into like just marijuana and everything like that, and so... Wait a they, So
1: band doesn't keep you out of everything? No, not at all, no. (laughs) I mean, people used to think that, well, no, it's not the athletic guys, it's not the band guys, keep people busy and everybody will be okay, but I'm going, it's not that way anymore. It's not. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing, there's going to
2: be enough time to...
1: Do something else. Yeah.
2: It doesn't take much time to go sneak behind this corner and like smoke.
1: Yeah. So was it when you got into high school that everything started?
2: Yeah, I would say so, because I was about 14 years old and I had never knew realistically what... Weed was, or what I was familiar with like meth because of like how terrifying it is, yeah, yeah and like everything yeah. like that. But yeah, just the way like the dare officer put it was like, if you smoke weed, you're this is what your lungs look like, they're pitch black, and you're gonna yeah. die or whatever, yeah, and go to prison. So I had like this really outlandish view of it. But then compared to what other people were telling me, yeah, like these guys I loved and I looked up to, they're like, dude, it's a plant, you know, it's natural. Nothing really happens like that. And so right off the bat, I viewed it as okay
1: because... Okay. Do you think you had problems before, hand and then the pot and all that stuff just kind of mask, you know, the real issues? Or did problems start when you started smoking and doing other drugs?
2: I think my whole life I had kind of a problem with low self-esteem. I didn't like how I looked really. Like my appearance, I was so like small and scrawny. I've gained about 50 pounds since I've been here now, just from working out. I never lifted a weight before I came here, but so I was just small and weird and just doing stupid things to fit in.
1: So the drug thing just kind of fit into that, right?
2: Yeah, it was like something where I felt that's where my role was as yeah. as the kind of outcast of the class was to just smoke. And I wanted people to actually view me as, oh, there's that guy that smokes so much and stuff like, because wow. I had looked up to people in the media these days, like rappers. I'm yeah. a big fan of hip hop and so whenever I see people in the media like with like literally tattoos of pot leaves like on their faces, then that's like that's my icon where I look up as
1: well. Wow, so cool, so rebellious. Like I wanna be like that. Wow. Okay, so when you look back on that, what goes to your mind when you look back on that time when you were thinking all that? Um now that's the misconception is that drugs
2: equal respect and fun and stuff like that where oh the more weed you smoke like the more street cred that is but in reality I mean well what I struggle with is not necessarily marijuana because I had moved on yeah to like k2 or like synthetic weed
1: it's pretty powerful stuff
2: it is and it's very bad for you I had like internal damage from it just like the inside of my body was basically just failing me and I just want people to know that drugs is not just a party that's just fun forever. Like eventually it's going to come back and bite you. You're not going to be able to get up off the couch because you're going to be like so weak and
1: yeah, yeah. destroyed. Okay. So where was your realization where you started going, wait a minute, I can't be doing this.
2: Well, um, I had a lot of experiences and like involvement using what most teens call it is acid, but... I guess the legal term would be research chemicals, where it's, I guess, closely relatable to like PCP or LSD in some forms. But so I had a lot of experience with that. And it started off as just kind of, it was overwhelming. It takes over your brain, but it's like something that I could actually manage at first. So I felt powerful by being able to take these drugs and get away with risky things. But so at first it was a huge rush, like insane amount of just adrenaline and almost joy it's like an artificial sense of joy but that started to turn on me like the further and further I got into it it was like the more empty I began to feel because I wanted this for myself but it was like pointless it was just wow so it started to really turn on me and like the hallucinations and everything were just turning evil and it's like I was my life was a nightmare
1: wow and so what what clicked
2: Well, one night I had a very like spiritual experience with it where it was not the drugs. It was God like reaching out to me and showing himself to me. And that's what I believe to this day, that that was God. And it was like scales coming off my eyes, just like biblical things were actually happening to me. Like my eyes were open. But at this time, I did not have like the strength to get away from those things. Even God revealing himself to me was not a strong enough force to pull me away and say, okay, I'm done with these Research chemicals, I'm done with this K2 because I was still dependent on that. Yeah, And so that's where I needed to get away physically and come to a different place. And, you know, we started doing research and everything. And So So
1: you say we started doing research. I mean, did you ever sit down and talk with them and say, hey, I got a problem?
2: Yes, multiple times. I mean, um, I was not willing to admit I had a problem for years because I didn't think I did. I was like, yeah, I could quit whenever I want. I just don't want to. But yeah, towards the end, whenever I started having like these haunting experiences overnight, you know, just the whole stress of lying to my parents and being in places that I wasn't supposed to be, that would like really enhance the fear that I had. Yeah. That was like induced by the drugs. So it was just
1: all these things. You think that'd push you more into drugs
2: to get rid of that fear that you were living
1: in almost a paranoia?
2: It goes both ways, yes, because the paranoia was caused by those drugs. Yeah. And that was a thing of like, dude, I'm never doing this again. Wow. I'm so
1: terrified right now. Never doing this again. How many times did you say I'm not doing this again before you really quit
2: doing it again? Probably more times than I could count because <laughs> I like end up forgetting those times. But yeah. at least three huge times come to mind. Yeah. Where I was like, dude, I'm never doing this again. I was like on the merge of a heart attack because of how scared I was. Wow. And wow. I even got abusive with one of my friends who was like basically babysitting me. Wow. where while he was asleep, he was. I was feeling threatened by a sleeping person. Like I was very paranoid.
1: Kind of messed up a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so you come to Heartlight. Was that the answer to everything mystical and magical and spiritual in the world? <laughs>
2: almost. <laughs> almost.
1: I mean... Really? Aside from
2: drug addiction, my second problem is my spirituality. Yeah. Because coming here, I say I was more of an atheist. Yeah. I went through... A big like anti God phase because I lost a family member of mine. My cousin passed away from leukemia at wow. a young age, wow. and so that pretty much rocked my world. Whenever she died, I lost that sense of yeah. value in life because, yeah. like, well, if God's willing to take away this child's life in a in a heartbeat, then what's like the real value in life? If yeah. people just yeah. die here and there and nothing truly happens about it, they're just gone from then on i was just really mad about god and i said at first it was like god's not real these people are stupid christians are stupid if they think that this is happening because there's so much happening in the world and so i said i hate christians i'm going to be the opposite and if there is a god i don't love him i want to go against him yeah and so i went through a phase of just kind of satanism um I would look at YouTube videos and read, and, like, I would pray to, like, the devil, like, legitimately. And it was satisfying at the time because of how angry I was yeah. at God. Yeah. And then whenever I started doing more intense drugs, I started thinking that, well, the universe, you know, is, like, infinite. And so there's no real God out there. It's just a chance that we're here, which yeah. is, I mean, it's realistic, but it's just impossible yeah yeah so um it wasn't until pretty recently maybe a month or two that i actually came to my senses and just just pretty much got on my knees in my in my room and i was just like jesus i'm sorry like wow ever since then i've just been reading the bible praying everything and now i would say that i'm a christian cool in my own little way
1: and, well, that's a big way, yeah you know, it I mean, I mean you come to it, you come to it in a very real way, yeah, okay, so if there's parents out there that have a child like you, you know that of what you were going through from seventh grade on up, you know, dealing with insecurity and now drugs and you know, I mean, what, what could your parents have done different that would have been a help to you?
2: Well, I think one of the hardest things that parents struggle with is just The whole thing of where, like, it takes one to know one. Like, you, yeah, I've been down this road where if my child one day I see them straying the way that I did, I can actually talk to them one on one. Like, I know exactly what their thought process is and what they're going through. You need to understand how confused these children are, yeah, yeah, and like how lost because of like the mixed messages we get through society. So, I would just say. Take a more talkative approach and understanding, because what my parents used to do is, we're taking your phone for a week. Next time, it'll be two weeks. And I was like,
1: so I think... um, Spending more time talking.
2: Yeah. And I know that could be hard, because your kid's going to be mad, and they're not going to want to admit that they can't stop. Yeah, yeah. I would say, don't push religion on your children. I think that they need to come
1: to it by themselves, because... At some point, you teach them, and then then you let them come to that point of of realizing what's really going on. Yeah, I feel like there's
2: nothing that can truly keep you away from going back to drugs than just loving God Mm -hmm. and wanting to please Him. I believe that's the purpose of human existence, and like your life is to make God smile, and just the way that you do that that is just. I love that. Yeah. I mean that's the that's the meaning of life is to please God because He made you for His pleasure. Wow. And like if you live for yourself, your own pleasure, then like you're becoming your own God and that's a sin in itself.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, Aiden, you've made God smile as we record this. I mean, that's a pretty cool story and um, I appreciate you sharing it. Thanks for having me on. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it'd be good. I mean, now you're going to be famous and stuff. I hope so. Yeah, (laughs) this is like a little taste of Hollywood right here. Okay, cool, man. Thank you so much. No problem. We survive on the generosity of people. And as a nonprofit, Heartlight in Parenting today's teens exists to meet the needs of parents and teens in a broken world. And I don't have to tell you of all the platforms we've developed through the years to reach more and more people in need. So, we count on folks like you to support our work. We help you and hopefully you can help us. And whether that's a monthly gift, a one-time gift or donation of anything, We use it all to promote and expand the capacity of the ministry to parents and teens. The pandemic caused us to have to put on our creative caps to come up with ways to raise more funds. And out of that creativity came the VIP events. Special events that would include fishing trips and special entertainment, getaway excursions and specialty dinners and unique opportunities. Two things happened from these events. We raise the much-needed funds for the ministry, and we get to spend time with friends and donors and parents and alumni and others that have an interest in our life's work. To find out more about these events and how you can participate in these memorable opportunities, please visit heartlightvip.events. That's www.heartlightvip.events. We would love to see you at one of these special events, knowing that our time together is helping change the lives of families everywhere. Mandy, thanks for being on the program. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
3: Um, I'm 15. I love the country, like
1: love the country like the u.s of a or no i
3: love like being in the country living in the country why is that because like that's where i grew up and when i was like young and so like i could just go outside and play and
1: and you grew up here in texas
3: well until when i was um in fourth grade i moved to here
1: oh okay and where'd you come from arkansas oh wow well welcome to god's country down in Texas. No, I'm joking a little bit. But but tell me a little bit. I mean, when did things change for you at home? I mean, it it, things were going well, but then something turned. When did that start to happen?
3: To be honest, by the time I moved to Texas.
1: Yeah. So like in fourth or fifth grade?
3: Yeah, it got really bad when I got to middle school.
1: Like what? Like when you say it got really bad, what was bad?
3: It was just like my family. Like me and my parents' relationships weren't the best. Like it really got bad in seventh grade because, like, I was doing stuff that I wasn't supposed to be doing, like, dangerous stuff. And, like, I ran from my home. In
1: seventh grade? Yes. Sir. And where do, where does somebody in seventh grade run to?
3: Well, I was, like, I was planning on not coming back, but I was just running around my neighborhood. And um, my parents, like, saw me running. And so that's when they figured that, like, I had left. But I was just, like, around my neighborhood, like...
1: Doing what?
3: I stayed at one of my friends' house for a little bit. And then, like, I um, ran to this person's house. And that's when, like, they convinced me to, like, go back home and, like, call um, the police. And, like, they brought me back to my home. And it was, like... Hmm really hard.
1: Okay. I mean, and and so what was the hardness of of being at home? Why was it so hard to be at home?
3: It was just like, because I didn't know how to communicate with my parents and like my parents didn't, I don't think they like knew how to communicate with me. And so it was just like, I just felt like miserable at home. Yeah. And,
1: I mean, were they bad people? I mean, I mean, you love your parents, don't you? Yes. And they love you. Mm-hmm. So what? What was the? What was the rub that caused all that? When you look back on it now, what was it that was kind of causing it to spin out of control a little bit?
3: Well, in the summer of seventh grade, I did. Um, I started sexting people that I didn't know, and um, my sister caught me. Yeah. And she told my parents and that's when like it got really rough. Yeah. And so after that I was like, I'm done with like my In parents. seventh
1: grade. And it was it because they were holding you to a standard to not do that?
3: Yeah, like my parents, they're like very Christian. They're like Yeah, yeah. And like looking at it now, like I know that the reason they do those things is because, like, they wanted me to keep me safe. Yeah. And, but in my mind, I was like, they're just doing this because they want me want me to have fun. Um, yeah. Like, they don't like me, all that. And um, so I was like, I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, but I still did it because okay.
1: I was like, I, I mean, and that's kind of an interesting perspective. I mean, cause, because I, I would say that most people that are listening to what we're talking about have standards, and they, but I don't know of one man, whether they're Christian or not would want their daughter sexting pictures of themselves to somebody else. And so your parents, I mean, that's it's kind of a normal thing. But why do you think that you interpreted that as they don't like me and they don't want me to have fun and I mean why would you interpret it that way?
3: I think it like has to do with me being adopted when I was like younger because like I've always thought like I wasn't wanted Like, no one liked me and all that Mm. because, like, my birth mom didn't want me, so why would anyone else want me? And I saw all these other kids, like, being able to do all this stuff. Like, not that stuff, but, like, being able to go out, like, with their friends and, like, all that, and I wasn't because, like, my parents didn't trust me to do that stuff, and so I saw all my friends getting to do stuff that I wasn't getting to do, so I was, like, I automatically was, like, they don't like me, they don't want me to have fun.
1: Yeah. And so getting to do stuff meant that you belonged somewhere, you were a part of something. Yeah. Okay, so when you think about your parents, what they could have done different, I mean, could they have done anything different to change that? Because, I mean, I, I doubt that your dad would go, oh, it's okay. Here, <laughs> here, send some more pictures of yourself yeah. out to people. What could they have done different?
3: I feel like if they could have done one thing different, it was actually sitting down and talking and letting me feel like I can actually talk to them about stuff because like until like recently like I never felt like I could just sit down with them and talk to them Mm. about stuff that was like hard to talk about because I always thought like well they were going to automatically get mad at me they weren't going to listen to me and so that's why like if I could go back to being in seventh grade like we had hard times I would rather yeah. I would want to be able to sit down with them and discuss what had happened and not feel like they're automatically going to like yeah. start getting mad at me,
1: yeah, well, do you think that's because because you've grown a little bit i mean because I mean you're looking at it now three years later as to how you'd like for it to be, but maybe it couldn't be because you weren't weren't able to talk about it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you were you're were in the midst of doing stuff and you were responding like, they don't like me, they can't stand me, they don't want me to have fun. Would you have really been able to talk about it then or is it something that you've begun to realize now that you wish you would have?
3: I think it's, like, something I'm realizing now because, like, I would yeah. have never, if, like, let's be honest, like, I would never just be Go downstairs and be like, "Hey, like, let's talk about this." Like, yeah, because I didn't ever feel like I needed to or could or yeah, and all that. Like, I would just be like, "This happened. We're gonna forget about it and all yeah. that." But in reality, like, it just made it worse and worse because we never dealt with it.
1: Yeah, well, and they were probably trying to control the behavior, which yeah. is kind of normal for any parent. And you were, you were reacting and responding. So now, now you see yourself as a fifteen-year-old. um... Quite different than you were when you were 12, aren't you? (laughs) Yes, sir. What do you see as the big difference between how you were and how you are now?
3: I think the big difference with me now is that, like, I'm actually, like, with my parents, like, I'm actually feeling like I can talk to them. Mm. And, like, our relationship has gotten so much better being here. Me and my mom's relationship has, like, grown because, like, I actually can talk to her about stuff that three years ago, like, I never felt like I could. And, like, that makes me, like, really happy because, like, I've always wanted that relationship with my mom, but I never knew. And, like...
1: Just didn't know how to get there.
3: That's something that, like, I feel like I've grown in.
1: Wow. Well, that's pretty cool. You still deal with the adoption thing?
3: It comes up every now and then, like, when something happens, I'm like, well... Like, were it, you recurring thought that, like, since my birth mom didn't want me, why would other people want me? But, like, here people are at heart, like, like Melissa, my counselor, she's like always there for me, like she's makes me know that like I am loved, like my parents make me feel like I'm loved, like I know I'm loved. it's just like it's hard to know that like your mom didn't want you, like she chose drugs over you,
1: yeah, well, I think it's interesting i mean you're I mean you're sensitive to that because you've been adopted mm. because if you would look at me and say. Well, I don't feel like you would want me, or I don't feel like you love me because my mom. I would look at you and go, "You're crazy," because I don't see you any different than anybody else. I mean, I go, "You're a sweetheart of a young lady. You're a <laughs> you're a jewel. You're," but but I think you think that, but I don't think that. Yeah. You see, and so I mean, so that's where you have that control because I think somewhere along the line you know, I mean, drugs has an amazing way of messing up people's minds. And so somebody who gives you up, you know, they're probably messed up a little bit in their thinking. And and not that everybody that gives up a child is messed up. I'm not saying that. But I mean, if she was, then she's not thinking. Do you think she thinks about you?
3: Sometimes I do. Like I, in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe she's like sobered up and getting better. But then there's that like doubt in my mind that like, who knows, like, she could be in hmm. jail or dead or, like, but, like, I feel like either way, like, she would still think of me knowing that, like, she has kids that, like, she yeah isn't there for.
1: How often do you think of her?
3: I think of her a lot, but, like, I never really knew her because I was a baby when I got taken away. But, like, I think of the ideal of her. Yeah. And that I feel like that's kind of worse because, like, you don't know that much about her but yeah. the stuff that i've been told by my parents and so it's like i want to believe that like she's gotten a lot better in like the years that like i've grown up but then it's also like how do i know that she yeah. is and all that yeah. but i think i like her
1: quite a bit yes, well sir. i can tell you this she thinks of you quite a bit too I, I, mm. you just know it every, every mom i've talked about that's given somebody up they think about them a lot. I mean, it's not that you become oblivious. It's just in that time, you know, she probably thought that was the best thing, and, and you providing the opportunity for your family, you know, so it's kind of cool. think you've grown quite a bit? Yes, sir. Yeah? Think you're different than you were a few years ago? Uh, yes, sir. Family's getting back together? Yes, sir. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being a part of the program.
3: You're welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, you can visit parentingtodaysteens.org, heartlightministries.org, or markgrigston.com. Join us back here tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.